0: Everybody, if you got what it takes, cause I'm KRS and I'm on the mic and premieres on the Braggs.
1: Thank you so much, Rob. Greetings and salutations to all of the Balkaholics. Welcome to the latest episode of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour presented by MyFFPC.com. I'm your slightly above average host, Eric Balkman. We have an extra special show in store for you tonight. Joining me this week, not the Dizzle, not the patron saint of fantasy football, not Dave Gerzak, but a pair of former guests on this show, longtime FFPC players and high stakes dynasty champions. It is Bip Lab Mandel and Steve Lee. Guys, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Derek. Great to be here.
2: Thanks, Bulky.
1: If you uh, want to connect with us on Twitter, you can do so at HSFFHour. I am at Eric Balkman. You can post on Facebook.com slash HSFFHour. I'm not going to give out the phone. I'm not going to give out the email because this is, you know, to take you behind the curtain, this is a pre-recorded show uh, that is airing uh, here this this Friday night. We We recorded this the previous week. Um, and, and we're kind of keeping this a, a little bit, uh, I, I don't want to say bland, that's not the right word, but a little bit generic this week. So if there's any hard-hitting news that came out over the last, you know, five or six days, we are not covering it tonight, and that's the reason why. Uh, so this is a, it's an interesting show tonight, it's one we haven't really done before. The way that this came about was Biplab actually pitched this to me a couple of months ago um, about how how he and Steve have very different philosophies when it comes to building and maintaining Dynasty Leagues uh, in the FFPC. And he thought it would be a very interesting uh, you know, podcast episode, and I happen to agree with him. And by the way, if anybody ever has like an interesting idea or something they want to pitch – Feel free. Uh, tweet me at Eric Balkman at HSFF we'd love, you know, whatever you guys, what you guys think is interesting is probably going to be interesting to the uh, rest of the high stakes players. And I think that you're going to see that tonight. So feel free to let us know. And we, we'd love to to, to pitch uh, that, uh, you know, or to, to, to record something like that uh, before we get into it. Dynasty startups are forming at myffpc.com at the $77,250, $507,50 level. And of course, as always, best ball, super flex, and double ups available at myffpc.com. They've been that way since before uh, the previous season ended. Uh, They've been out there. So uh, definitely sign up for those. Obviously, the main event going on myffpc.com, a half million dollar grand prize, and football guys' leagues will be here before you know it. Get your time and date now. So let's get into it, gentlemen. Uh, Bip Lab, I'm going to pitch this to you first, since you were the one who initially reached out to me and said, "Hey, I think this would be really good." You have a very, you and Steve uh, obviously have gotten into spirited debates about um, the best way that you guys feel it is to to build a, a high stakes dynasty league. Let let me um, just kind of pitch it to you first. Um, how, like what's your philosophy on it? And I'll let Steve talk about his in a second, but what's your philosophy and and your experience been as far as the best way, the most successful way you have built, uh, built up your, your dynasty teams in the, in the past.
2: Sure. Balky. Um, so, uh, like you are aware, but but not many listeners, I did not grow up in this part of the world. So, football came to me very late. You know, I used to be a cricket fan, and then I the strategy and, and everything around fantasy football got me into this game. But what that means is, someone like me... Uh, I am not a scout or I don't understand in detail a lot of technicalities and and what many other high stake players might be into. Right. So so knowing that, you know, I think the first and foremost, the most important thing for me has been to understand what my strengths are, what my weaknesses are, and then how do I go about uh, building a very good fantasy football team? right so now when it comes to dynasties the good thing is you always get a second chance so even if you mess up your first draft or even if you buy a bad team you have ways and means to to extend that team and and that's where i feel someone like me my strengths come in right so i focus a lot on trading as a strategy because I know that many times when it comes to picking rookies or or nailing those uh, rookie picks I might not be the best person right so I keep it very simple I focus on my strength which is basically networking with people connecting with people making trades and then uh, sustaining my roster that way now in that process I I believe in one philosophy which is buy people at low and then sell them at high you know pretty much like how you run in a stock market right and i i have seen over the years that strategy has worked for me so every year at the beginning of the year you know i'll try to buy players who nobody is talking about or people a little negative about and then uh, sell players at their high for example this year i have been selling damian williams for a 2020 first in in a lot of leagues right so so those are the types of strategies i use and then you know someone in ffpc 501 was telling me the other day that i am probably the only person who networks with everyone in that league and probably gets along with everybody yeah. uh, because i have also seen some people have high egos and you can often clash with them there, right? So I use networking, communication, and then uh, trading as a tool to build some very good dynasty teams that I've been successful in.
1: Yeah, you know, I think that you bring up an interesting point, and this is, you know, we all get bad dynasty trade offers all the time. It happens to everybody. But I think the the, the knee jerk reaction is you is to feel personally offended when somebody sends you a deal like, um, you know, for my. For my Ezekiel Elliott, you're going to offer me, you know, Tyler Boyd and a, and a second round pick, and I think the initial knee-jerk reaction is like that is awful. That what do you think I am? An idiot? And that's that's the wrong reaction to have because you want to you want to keep you have 11 bridges essentially up in your league, and you want to keep those bridges uh, built and and not burnt as long as possible. And something as simple as taking something personally like that. That can burn a bridge, and you'll never be able to trade with that guy again as long as he stays in the league. So I think the the whole networking angle is totally true, and I think the the way that you've described how you build your dynasty is like, look, I recognize I'm not the greatest rookie, um, yeah, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, scout in the world, but what I am good at is trading and i think you know probably the best coach and 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 one of the best gms in the in the real nfl is bill belichick and i think he's recognized that as far as at least as far as receivers go um it's very rare that new england is hit on receivers in the draft i mean it's happened but it doesn't happen a whole lot and what does he do he goes out and fills that position different ways so i think that you are spot on as, as far as knowing the importance of recognizing your strengths recognizing your weaknesses and taking it from there steve your philosophy i want to get into to how you like to do it um and, and how it differs from what bip lab just told us
0: yeah well i guess uh to piggyback on Bip's you know stock market analogy i guess i'd be what you call a, a buy and hold guy rather than a high yep. value uh, sorry high volume kind of value trader um you know i do believe trading is you know indispensable part of your armory in terms of building a dynasty team, don't get me wrong. But I do make fewer trades than probably uh, a lot of other guys. And they tend to be more what I call strategic in nature rather than than tactical and by by that I mean I'm not too worried about whether I'm gaining or losing in the individual trade um, in terms of market value. But am I getting what I want strategically in terms of the, the relative strength and weaknesses of my team. So, in other words, trading strength at wide receiver for strength at running back or or, or, or for tight end or for whatever it is. Or maybe if I'm in rebuilding mode, I'm trading away veteran productivity for unproven youth or, or draft picks, that, that kind of thing. So, um, as a result, I do rely um, more on the rookie draft for, if you like, an infusion of uh productivity and, and talent as well as obviously you know the waiver wire which you know I mean, even in the you know the high stakes environment we see can still be um a productive area um so that's that's kind of a thumbnail sketch of the the different approach i guess
1: steve you know you talk about that um and and how you're you're a little bit more selective um in your trades uh, and you are not necessarily concerned with Winning every trade, always getting the best value, but making sure that, that whatever deal you do, your team gets better after that trade. Um, right. I'm curious, do you find yourself, um, as a result of that, not not like, you know, oftentimes I'll get a deal, and I don't think it's decent, but I'll think I can do better. And then I'll, you know, be hitting up other owners in the league and, and seeing what I can get. And, and trying, you know, it's sort of like how the Houston Rockets have done it um, in the NBA over the over the course of, of um, you know, the better part of a decade, where they will make a million trades and just get incrementally better at every single one until they're at the upper echelon of of, of the league. And for me, I'll get a I'll get a deal offered to me. I'm like, yeah, that that's pretty good, but I think I can do better. And then I'll hit up three, four, five, six other teams to see if I can do a little bit better. Do you find yourself, Steve, like sort of? striking right on that first deal when you know like okay i'm clearly getting better here i'm going to make this deal i'm not going to mess around and potentially lose this this trade that's in front of me right now do you feel like that, that you do less shopping and more buying that way
0: yes I, I think that's a fair statement i mean i do not you know i i don't think i'm personally good at the the high volume trading where you're making a ton of trades where you're trying to get an incremental value on each one and then moving that guy on and and, you know, hoping when the music stops that, you know, my team's going to be better. Because I, I don't think it would be. I think I'm more likely to probably lose in that process than win. So, yeah, I, I tend to be more circumspect and, and restrict myself to more, what I uh, term, strategic trading in that
1: sense. The offseason is is always a hotbed of FFPC yeah. trades. I'm curious, BitLab, have, have you made a deal that, that's been a blockbuster that you're particularly proud of or, or something that sort of, Change the landscape as far as any of your teams gone. What's the biggest trade um, or or the most important trade that that you've made so far here coming into the 2019 NFL year?
2: Sure, you know before I get to that, one comment on uh, Steve's strategy though is you know I've been impressed over the last three years. As to how Steve has nailed some picks in some of the leagues I've been with him, like you know, drafting George Kittle at 412, and then he drafted Cooper Cup I think in 310 or somewhere, wow. right? And in other other leagues, you know, he has drafted Calvin Ridley over some of the popular names, right? And I have even shared with him that feedback that someone like me will never do it. So there is some kind of secret tool that Steve has to evaluate these talents and get them and then hold them and and he's pretty adamant about uh, trading them so I think that strategy works for when you are as good as Steve is but then for people like me I am never going to nail that you know and so that's where the trading aspect comes and and the great thing with dynasties is you can probably build great teams with both the strategies you know as long as you know again what your strengths uh, uh, and competencies are right yeah yeah i agree with that i mean again
0: I, I don't think it you say you know one strategy is better than another or one approach is better than another and, and Bip is very good at the trading and the networking piece and he certainly does that a, a, a lot better than than I do and he also I think it takes a certain I don't know mental capacity to um or nerve perhaps is the right word to handle multiple trades where you're cycling these players through through your roster and you're prepared to if you like disrupt the structure of your team because you're confident that at the end of it you're going to end up with a a stronger team so it it is you know definitely uh, they're different skill sets but both um you know definitely valid approaches to building the
1: team well and it's like you guys have said like look i know what i'm good at i know what i'm not good at and and as a result i know how i'm going to build a really good dynasty team you guys clearly recognize that and i think that's that's sort of like the first step too right Lab?
2: yeah and i think that's the key right that's the common part in both the strategies both of us know what we are good at and and what we are Best working with, right? And and that is so important, you know, in these high stakes. Otherwise, you will be all over the place and chasing uh, tails. Um, coming to your trade question, I think one trade I am really proud of because I really, really wanted that player in my roster because out of my 10-12 FFPC teams I don't have him anywhere and that's DeAndre Hopkins so I made a trade this offseason where I traded away Davante Adams and couple of second round picks for DeAndre Hopkins and couple of third round picks and I do feel I got the better player in that deal I mean I like Adams I like Rogers although I feel you know um, it'll be interesting to see what Green Bay does in in the rookie draft, but if I'm getting a talent as good as DeAndre Hopkins for that trade, I will take it any day. And so that's the big trade I am pretty proud of this much, off season.
1: Bip, how many? How much did it did it factor in? And and I don't know when you exactly made the trade, but how much did it factor in knowing that DeAndre Hopkins? was going to be staying in, in the same offense that he's been in basically his whole career and that Devontae Adams was going to be learning a new one with with Matt LaFleur coming to Green Bay did that factor in the decision at all
2: so so second part of it factored a bit and that's where the gamble uh comes in right again so DeAndre uh so Devontae you know this trade happened I think a couple of weeks back so not a not long back but what I have re- realized over the years is that Rogers is getting older and little injury prone. I think the Vikings and the Bears have very good defenses that are improving, and then uh, the Lions with Patricia around, I expect them to also get better on defense, right? And then uh, Davante Adams has had a couple of very good runs, but. Until I look at his season last year, the numbers, other year, his numbers have not been that elite. You know, he's he's put up good WR1 numbers, but I wouldn't put it in the elite category. And then when it came to learning a new offense, that was the biggest factor for me. A lot of people don't realize that because they think Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers, and that means uh, a, a lot of passing, right? But this offensive coordinator came from Tennessee, I think, and, uh, you know, the... I, I didn't see Corey Davis light it up there. So, you know, that was a factor. And then uh, Hopkins is also, you know, connected to a very young uh, quarterback who is younger than uh, Rodgers. And then Ad- Adams and Hopkins are of same age. So I just wanted Hopkins. You know, I think he's the best receiver at the moment in the league. And so, you know, I thought that it, it was a value trade. For me, yeah, we I have. See how it ends up. I,
1: I have. I mean, I agree with everything you said, and I also agree. I think you got the better talent in there, uh, too. I mean, Devonte Adams is awesome. DeAndre Hopkins is really awesome. Steve, exactly. what about you? What about you? Have you made any deals that you've been particularly proud of uh, since the well, Super Bowl? Well, um,
0: you know, I haven't really made any massive deals this offseason. that uh, It's been, um, you know, some some fairly minor deals. But I, I do want to talk about one trade that actually Biff and I made a year ago because I think it it bears on this conversation in terms of. It was a trade that I think we both walked away from happy. And and I think it fit. We each got what we wanted in terms of our own kind of um, strategies. And, and this was in the 500 number one league. And at the time, um, I had, you know, great strength at wide receiver and, and virtually nothing at running back. And so I made a trade to Biff. I traded him Odell Beckham Jr. for Joe Mixon and the 108. Now, at the time on, 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 Paper. This was after Mixonus was coming off a of, you know a relatively mediocre um, rookie season, um, and at the time, on paper, it, it looked like well, I'd probably given up value. In fact, B- Biff and I you know exchanged some thoughts after the trade, and I think I'll let Biff comment. But I, I think Biff said something to the effect of, "Well, I probably wouldn't have made that trade if I'd have been on your end of the of it from a from a value standpoint." But I turned the 108 into Carry on Johnson which, you know, the, the way the rookies that you know, in twenty seventeen I was fairly confident I, I had a decent shot of getting him with that pick. And um so I ended up with Mixon and Kerry and Johnson and, and ended up with, with Odell Beckham. And, you know, I've been able to replace that lost wide receiver talent through the draft with the likes of Cup and Ridley and a few other guys. Um and it's uh it's you know it's it, it, it was a trade that I think worked out well
1: for both of us and and that's and that's all you're trying to do i mean you're trying it's um not in and this is great i can bring this up tonight because dave's not on the show i can borrow a baseball analogy but like if you're trying to improve your team uh in say like a rotisserie baseball league where you have to fill certain categories which you don't you're not really doing that in fantasy football but you kind of are because you you're you're trying to start the most dominant lineup every single week and if you have a glut of receivers and not enough backs or if you have a ton of running backs and not enough wideouts, sometimes it's okay to give you know 80 75 cents on the dollar for a certain guy just to get him in the lineup because even though you you might have made your team as a whole maybe a little bit weaker you've actually made it better because now you have the opportunity to play a lot of these guys every single week in the same starting lineup that you didn't have before and you're 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 making the team in your starting lineup or the team on the field better at the expense of maybe losing a little incremental depth uh, uh, on your roster. So I'm totally on board with that. And I think that's something that, you know, even I struggle with uh, certain times I always want to win every deal, but it's not always about that uh, as well. Now, Steve, I want to ask you sort of like, and I know BIP lab's probably curious too. The the secret sauce here that you've been able to hit on these rookie picks has it just been sheer volume that that you've been successful at getting guys like Cooper Cup and George Kittle late has has is there a, is there a certain process or or a vetting strategy that you do with with assessing the the talent of these rookies and then the landing spot what's what's been what's worked for you as far as nailing these rookie picks as much as you can
0: well so um, I do rely on obviously the rookie draft to to to, to get talent uh, pretty heavily and so i I put in a lot of time preparing for the rookie drafts and i'm basically triangulating information i mean i'm an analytical guy by by nature um and so the whole rookie um player analysis you know I, I, i i that comes relatively easily to me so um i'm triangulating really data from from three areas the the college productivity in terms of, you know, market share, breakout age, you know, their on-field performance, you know, yards after contacts, force missed tackles, all of that kind of stuff. Then their athletic metrics in the combine, which I track with, you know, a fair amount of detail, um, and and then finally my own game film analysis. And I, you know, I don't have the bandwidth to watch a lot of college um game uh, games live you know on a saturday during the season so january through april is a pretty intensive period of of watching game film plus as i say bringing together all these other sources of data and then i'll end up with a rookie board which is you know it has about 60 70 players on it um ranked obviously and um and that's that's basically what i do
1: yeah, I mean, it's 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 just a matter of well, and you know, it works for you. You know, clearly, you know that whatever whatever rubric or whatever strategy you've been using, like, hey, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure I target this guy. Maybe trade up a couple of spots if I'm gonna get a chance to get him. I'm gonna fade this guy in case somebody wants to trade up for him. I'll be more than happy to move down and, and grab somebody else. So I think that uh, is the right approach there, and it, and it certainly uh, has been successful for you, Bip Lab. Uh, this is something I've, you know, it, it's one of those things once I've learned about it and and then the struggle is okay i have to understand this is not a hard and fast rule but you know there is something to be said for players whether it's a running back when they hit 30 whether it's a receiver when they hit 32 whether it's a tight end when they hit you know 33 34 what have you do you ever find that that there is a right quote-unquote age to sell on a particular player at a particular position in dynasty or is it just such a sliding scale for you that that you have to take it on a case-by-case basis
2: no uh, great question Balki. but i i have learned over the years and i have been successful in in a, a dynasty i won this year 506 you know so that's where uh, it was actually i bought a team of the waivers you know uh, whatever you guys were selling it was not a good team it was an older team and for the first time you know I sold all the running backs who were around 28 29 years old so I had players like DeMarco um, Murray Leshan McCoy and and all those older guys and I sold them for a future first and then basically nailed the draft last year luckily which I would say like getting the likes of Christian McCaffrey and Joe Mixon and, and, you know, because those picks converted into those type of players, right, the the year I did. And then finally had a powerhouse team that that won this year. I think I went 13-0 and then wow. uh, won it. Yeah, it's, it's really a team that I am proud of. But I made some good trades there, like Adam Tillin buying him at a low right? And then Davante Adams buying him when everyone thought he was a bust, right? Those two guys contributed to that uh, dynasty. Anyways, so I do feel that, you know, in leagues where I am not competitive and I know there are better teams, you know, which I can say whatever I want to the world, but at the bottom of my heart i believe they are better teams than what i have i will start selling running backs if they are getting to 28 29 zone right uh, so right now in another league i'm trying to sell receivers who are over 30 years including antonio brown and julio jones i own both of them but i have a feeling i am not going to win that league right so trying to that's that's where for receivers after 30 i start you know, figuring out the market and selling them on their high running backs around 28 29 and then uh, tight ends are so scarce right now that you know unless you are one of those top three or four guys I just rate them all fine and I will rather go and search for uh, Chris Herndon in 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 the waivers right or so so that's kind of where I am at with some of those players and then i know many dynasty players may not b- like my strategy but i really don't care about quarterbacks no matter if you are patrick mahomes but you can only play 12 quarterbacks so i will just take value in quarterback and and punt at that position you, you know, know i I'm, I'm
1: totally with you on quarterbacks i'm in i'm in a, a uh, another dynasty league where it was uh i it was an orphan team and i picked it up last year and I ended, actually, uh, Dave Gerzak was in it. And, um, you know, I was talking about how, you know, it's a, it's a similar FFPC type format league. There's no tight end premium scoring in it, but I was telling him like, you know, I don't these quarterbacks, like I just need to transform them into assets. And, and, uh, I ended up trading, I had Deshaun Watson in that league and I traded him with, man, I'm trying to think who my backup, was. my backup, like the only other quarterback I had in my roster was like Ryan Tannehill or something like that. Like it was bad. But I I uh, I traded yep. Deshaun Watson for the one twelve in the rookie draft that year, and I'm like, you know, I, I listen. I'm going to stick to my strategy here of of quarterbacks, and I get a first round pick for him. I'm totally on board with that, and it actually caused a, not an uproar, but a lot of people kind of raised an eyebrow at that. And I ended up, I think I took Cortland Sutton at the 112 for it, which you know I'm still totally on board with. And then this off season, in that same league, some some guy was trying to trade me Marcus Mariota in exchange for the two for the 201 this year. And I said, I said and I said to him, "I'm like, you realize I'm the guy last year that traded the one tw- or Deshaun Watson for the 112, so I'm probably gonna. Oh yeah, yeah, I prob- that's let's let's think of something else here. So I'm totally on board with you uh, as far as the the quarterbacks go. Um, Steve, I want to ask you about the tight ends because, as Biplab just pointed out, they, they I mean, they're they're not plentiful right now. If you if you find one, you hold on to it like grim death. I had in that same league, I, I had a guy that was trying to get Travis Kelsey from me, and I really wanted to do a deal with him because he's sending me all these you know really solid offers. But in the end, it just it just made more sense to keep Kelsey. I'm curious, um, what about the rookie tight ends? What about these tight ends? You know, and and, and certainly there's exceptions to every rule. But um, most of the time, these rookie tight ends, they get to the NFL and, and they struggle uh, year one. In a tight end premium format with, with, with short benches, how do you treat these rookie tight ends? I mean, are, are you okay with, with letting them marinate on your roster for a year? Uh, is it worth it for you to do that? What's been your experience with that?
0: Um, yeah, the sh- well, the short answer to that is, is yes, I am. I mean, I, you know, I, I personally, and I, you know, I'm maybe – uh, different from, from the norm in this, but I, you know, I view tight ends as, and rookie tight ends as, as long-term assets. In, in fact, I think for a patient owner, and obviously I consider myself one of those, um, I think this is an area where you can get real long-term value differential over your competitors. Um, for example, I have a number of shares of David and Ndukic. Now, he's basically sat on my roster for two years, and, you know, I may have spot-started him a couple of times, when I absolutely needed to, uh, but going forward, I think in this year and, and beyond, he's going to be a consistent, tie, uh, high-performing tight end. One for the next, well, barring catastrophic injury, seven or eight years. Now, when you add that seven or eight years to the t- to the two years I've had that's like a ten-year horizon. Now, I know that's an anathema to a lot of people to think that kind of long term, but I think you do need to accept that. Tight ends are really not going to produce. I mean, with certain notable exceptions, for the first two three years that you have them. So it is a long term investment.
1: Let let let's talk Pip Lab. Let's talk about the short rosters in the FFPC. And, you know, we've yep. had there's a lot. There's plenty of people on Twitter um that that will say well the FFPC i mean they have dynasty leagues but they're really kind of keeper leagues because you have to cut down to so few players as, as you know prior to the draft at all is there a way you know knowing that you have been playing in these in these dynasty formats at the FFPC for several years now is there a way to use that to your advantage at all or is this sort of a handicap that that everyone kind of has to deal with
2: yep no i think it makes FFPC leagues more fun i think it makes it uh, easier for a bad, bad team to be turned around. I do think in FFPC, you can turn around bad teams in two, three years because of this short roster, right? If you manage it well. Uh, Now, what Steve was saying, you know, one of my personal struggles with rookie tight ends have been holding them in a 16-team roster, right? right? So unless you are as good as Steve where you can nail other picks, it really gets difficult and frustrating. For example, Hayden Hurst, You know he's he's frustrating uh and then you know trey burton all the years he was in philadelphia it was frustrating right and and now they have uh godart over there you know and and so players like that right but but for me to play it smart in a 16 team roster i strongly feel that you should always keep one quarterback you know again no matter what the names are um, even if it is a Philip Rivers Ben Roethlisberger I would rather have them in the 16 team roster and then find someone in the waiver so that is number one I also feel if you have, a, have an elite tight end like you have a Travis Kelsey or a Zach Earths and even now George Kittle if you have one of those type of players then try to have only another tight end because you know Tight ends are not that deep and and after a certain rank, you know, they are all same and then spend a lot more on running backs and wide receivers and and build a depth. Right. Uh, that's where I have been successful in leagues that I have won and I don't have elite tight ends. Um, in fact, I don't have Travis Kelsey or Zach Ertz anywhere, you know, and and so that has worked for me. And I always try to keep one quarterback. Um, uh, in in my roster.
1: Uh, no, I it, it, listen. It makes po- perfect sense for me uh, to to operate that way with this. Guys, I don't know if um, you, you know how early you start your rookie prep, but you know the combines behind us. Players are meeting with teams. The draft I think is 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 going to be here. Well, from where we're recording today, about 31 days away. Um, so it'll be here before we know it. Steve, are, are there any? rookies that that you particularly like uh this season or or maybe some rookies that have raised some red flags with you that that you know that listen no matter where they end up in in their landing spot i'm I'm probably not uh drafting them are are there any players like that for you in 2019 uh well yeah there are i mean
0: so let's talk some generalities first i mean i think we all are aware that the the strength and depth of this uh draft class lies in wide receivers and um tight ends and, and and not so much in, obviously, the running backs. In fact, you know, I, I personally, and I'm still in the middle of my evaluation, obviously, but I found that this group of running backs particularly hard to evaluate compared to, to recent years. Because while several of them have one or two really positive traits, they also have some, some glaring weaknesses in their, in their game. And, and it's going to be it's difficult to predict um, how they will translate to, to the NFL. I mean, I do think that this class, more than any other, opportunity is is going to matter. Yep. So where these guys land is going to be a bigger factor. I mean, it's not like, I remember last year, I had a one, the 102 in uh, one of one of my leagues, and I was taking Nick Chubb, come hell high water, because I knew Saquon Bartley was going first. But I was going to take Nick Chubb. I didn't care where he landed. And there isn't a player like that in this, uh, certainly not a running back in this uh, draft who's, who, who's like that. I mean, I think there are some productive running backs or will, will be productive if they get into the right situation. Um, but it's going to be very dependent on the landing spots. In wide receiver, obviously, I personally think and Nkeel Harry is the, should be the consensus 101. He's as near to a can't-miss prospect in my mind um, as you can get, certainly in this draft class. I also love DK Metcalf. I know he's been a polarizing figure on in the Twitter sphere because, you know, he people are concerned about his lateral agility and the, back that up with a relatively poor three cone at the, at the combine. But, um, you know, I think he's got a prototypical ex receiver who's going to make his living on go routes, post routes, slant routes, and so I'm not too worried about that. And in fact, watching him at the combine, he got in and out of his breaks just fine, as far as I was concerned. So. I uh, I I really like him, uh, and yeah. So so those are some you know at the the, the top end of the uh, of the draft class, uh, but there's some there's some good receivers. I mean I, I think later on um, a, a little guy like Andy Isabella, uh, very productive in college. If he gets into the right system, he's got an elite lateral uh, agility. Put up an elite three cone at the combine. He's a guy, I think, who could be uh, surprisingly productive. So I think there's going to be some uh, really good players taking this draft. But like I said, the running backs are a bit of a minefield.
1: Bip Lab, you're, uh, you're, are, are there any players either good or bad that are standing out for you that are going to hear their names called coming up at the end of April at the NFL draft?
2: well i i agree to a lot of things uh steve said and i think the key this year in the draft will be who goes where for example you know someone like dk metcalf if baltimore drafts him i don't know if i want to touch him there right so so i i have i'm even having a hard time evaluating the receivers this year um i feel they are there is volume or or there is depth but it's it's not easy to say who is uh, going to be the number one. For example, you know, I do have a lot of respect for how Steve evaluates uh, receivers, but I actually feel that Enkel uh, Harry has a bust potential. You know, he might be another Le- Laquan Treadwell, right? So, so there's those kind of views. I actually like Hakim Butler. Um, I've watched some highlights, and and you know, he's he's from Iowa State, and uh, again, in right system, I feel he he might do well. Um, I'm excited about tight ends, though. But again, they are long-term prospects. For example, someone like Noah Fant, who can catch the catch passes. Think about Patriots drafting him. You know, uh, so those are the types of things uh, that might excite me. But otherwise, what I have been trying to do, bulky is sell 2019 picks and get 2020 picks because I feel I have a better chance of nailing some picks next year.
1: Let's talk about um, and get into this before we get into some individual players and, and, and by, you know the list that we have compiled here. Maybe there's actually going to be some players here that, that, uh, that you're going to bring up in, in, in this next part. But, Bip Lab, uh, any players that you have on your dynasty leagues or if you did have them on your dynasty teams, you'd be looking uh, to sell them right now, whether they, they, you know, you mentioned Damien Williams before. I think he's a good yep. sell-high guy. Uh, is there anybody else that, I, I mean, we'll we'll throw sell-high guys into the conversation, but maybe a guy that you think, okay, this isn't a sell-high guy, but I think his value is going to go down again in 2019. Are there any players that you'd be looking to move right now for something else?
2: Um, you know, many may not like, this but uh, uh, again a big name guy that i am trying to trade but it has to be a start for start type trade is juju smith schuster uh, with brown gone i feel he will get more attention and uh, will be interesting to see how he steps in as a true elite receiver one and i somehow feel his value is pretty sky high right now and if i can trade juju and and get players like deandre hopkins in that trade i would do that, right? So he's one player I'm trying to sell, you know. Other than players like Antonio Brown, that that I'm trying to sell. On the running back front, you know, I am still not 100% sold on James Conner. I feel he is injury prone, and and it's the sample size is not high. So he's another one I'm trying to trade at a high value and and get some more reliable assets.
1: Steve, what about you? Are, is there, are, are there anybody on your rosters that you're you're trying to cleanse yourself of and, and get some, you know, either picks or different players in exchange for them?
0: Well, one guy that comes to mind is, is AJ Green on uh, my twelve fifty number two uh, team. You know, this is uh, uh, you know, I, I won the, the title in twenty seventeen and I held on to him, you know, expecting to compete for the title again in twenty eighteen. But you know, I, although I made the playoffs, really my team took a bit of a step backwards. So. Um, I'm going to be looking at potentially moving him on. But if I do it, it will be in season uh, because then at least I can get better value for him. You know, he won't be coming off an injury. So I'll likely trade him in the season if I do that.
1: Steve, conversely, is, are, are there any buy lows or, or, or players that, that you are higher <laughs> on than, than the rest of the high-stakes players or, or dynasty players in general? Are there anybody um, out there that you've been... Is sending some offers for it to see if you can get him uh, maybe a little bit on the cheap before his value spikes. Uh,
0: well, I, yeah, I, I'd love to get uh, Chris Godwin. Um, I've always been a big fan of Chris Godwin, and I think his uh, he's, he's, arrow is definitely pointing up with, you know, now that the logjam of receivers in, in, in Tampa Bay has been sorted out a little bit. Unfortunately, his price is already high. Most owners who have been holding him have been holding him because they believe it in him. And they're looking for a first or even a first and and something else uh, in order to give up uh, Chris Garvin. So, you know, that's been I haven't managed to acquire him yet. Um, I think there's a couple of running backs that you can acquire relatively cheaply that I think have some upside. Um, I think Kenyon Drake is an example. Um, You know, again, you know, not not as your your RB1, but I think he could be a solid RB2 for your team. And then I think there's some tight ends that you can get really cheaply. Again, going back to the fact that a lot of people aren't patient with tight ends. And so I'm thinking of a couple of guys who are sitting behind veterans who probably only have one more year uh, left. And that's Jonas Smith uh, sitting behind Delaney Walker right now in Tennessee. i pretty high on him. And he's he's looking like, from I've seen from some of the message boards, he's on a lot of people's roster bubble by the looks of it. Um, and then Ian Thomas in Carolina, because um, so, Greg Olson is, is going to hang it up. In fact, I thought he might even retire this off season. So I think Ian Thomas there in, in Carolina has, uh, you know, so the, the value of those tight ends could really explode once they become regular starters.
1: Bit Blabby, you know, I'll, I'll ask you the same question. I'll also frame it this way. Um, what about players that, that, you know, as Steve alluded to, that, you know, these, these tight ends that maybe – are, are slow to come along, or maybe somebody uses a late first-round pick in um, in, a, in a rookie draft on, you know, like a Gesicki or a Hurst or, or you know, some, some tight end like that that, that didn't have an Evan Engram-esque season and yep. uh, and, and they, they get frustrated with. Um, or I'll even use the example of of a, of a pretty popular running back last year in Ronald Jones a guy that that I think um, a lot of people, myself included, was high on, and he did not have the rookie season that I think um, I was and, and many people were hoping for. What about these these players that were highly touted um, coming into rookie drafts that don't have a great rookie season? Are, are you are you on board with buying them up and seeing if acquire them on the cheap?
2: Well, I'm not into Gesicki and Hurst, uh, although you know a couple of last years rookie tight ends that I'm trying to buy at a value price are Mark Andrews and uh, Chris Hondon. right I I like those two guys I again you know I'm no scout but I feel they might have a good future ahead uh so those are two guys uh, Ronald Jones you know I was a, a big fan of him uh, last year um I'm not going to overpay and proactively buy him, but if I get him for a late second, I might be tempted to get him, or if he's on my roster, I'm going to hold him. Because like Steve was mentioning, this year's running back class is not looking great. And, and then they have a running back friendly coach. And so who is his competition? Is it going to be the best competition I can see is Josh Jacobs? Then it is Josh Jacobs, Ronald Jones, and Peyton Barber. I do feel he stands a chance there, right, to, to compete and, and be the running back. So that's what it is. But I'm not going to pay a first round pick and, and, and invest in him, right? So it's a value trade that has to happen for me. Um, and the same thing about Mark Andrews and uh, Chris Herndon, uh, players like them. The other player uh, who nobody thinks of, but I'm trying to buy at a value price is Jalen Samuels of, of the Steelers. I would rather have him at a value price and sell James corner at a high. You know, that's kind of been my strategy there.
1: I, I uh, We have roughly uh, 50, uh, 15, 16 minutes left or so. And, and before um we 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 kind of you know call it um uh, a night i want to get into some of the players that i just listed like 10 players here i think i have a list of 10 that uh, to me i'm i guess i'm not sure what to do with if if i own them in dynasty right now are they buys are they sells are they holds um what what are you doing with them in biplab i'll ask you first todd Gurley. i mean a lot of the you know, basically ever since the, the end of the regular season, it's it's just been bad news after bad news at Todd Gurley. I'm not sure how much we can take at face value what Sean McVay is saying about him. You know, we're hearing the reports of arthritis in the knee and, and you know, all this other stuff. And for a guy who is coming off really a, an historic season, um, this is not what you want to hear coming into the following season. So if you own Gurley or if you were going to make a deal for Gurley, how do you sort of approach what you'd give up or what you'd accept back in return for him right now and your thoughts really on on his his long-term dynasty value as well.
2: Yep. So so long-term dynasty value I do feel that this news uh, breaking out has has caused some uh, uh, shivers and, and panic, but I equally feel because of these news, it has made Gurley a tradable asset, because in the past, it Gurley means don't touch him, right? Um, I have made couple of off-season trades, you know, they are 250 dynasty leagues, but still 250, where I have given away two uh, first round, two current first round picks and 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 have obtained girly now again i don't have a high valuation of this year's draft class so i thought i would rather have the upside of Gurley than those two first round picks um and i'm pretty stacked on wide receivers in in that league i think if i'm a Gurley owner i'm going to hold him because i don't think people want to pay a lot because of these news and and so you know i'm not going to sell him for cheap uh I do feel there are some questions long term, but I still feel you know it's Todd Gurley, and and if he makes past this news, he can win new seasons single handedly.
1: Steve, do you do you share yeah. that viewpoint on Gurley? I mean, is is this a guy that if you own him anywhere, you're kind of holding, uh, but you are a little nervous about making an offer for him right now?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, I do share that view. I actually do own Gurley in one of my twelve fifty leagues, um, and you know he's a definite hold right now. I mean, I think this cloud hanging over him over the state of his knee and exactly how degenerative this condition is I mean that that situation is going to get clearer in fact it could easily be dispelled if Gurley goes out and runs for 500 yards in the first four games of the season Mm -hmm, no one's going to be thinking about this so he's a definite hold right now Um, you know I do think you you know we, we need to do as much research as possible to you know get a sense of what he's long term Value is, but yeah, he's definitely a hold hold for now. And you know, a lot of this could be forgotten if he looks if he looks fine at the start of the season.
1: Another guy that's going to be taken in 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 redraft leagues, at least in the first round, um, and has been, has been the newest uh, New York Jet, Le'Veon Bell, a guy that enjoyed yeah. a lot of success, Steve, in, in Pittsburgh um, over the course of his career. He is going to a team now that. It's, it's it's good and bad I mean he is going to be the focal point of that offense but the bad is he is really the only focal point of that offense right now to speak of um how do you treat levy on Bell for dynasty is this a guy that you want to go after right now is this a guy that you want to sell before people are are seeing this jets offense slog along if if it is in fact going to slog along I don't even I don't have a good read on this situation but your thoughts on levy and Bell for dynasty right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, he is a sell and, you know, he's a sell because I think you can get really good value for him right now. He's currently being drafted in in redraft leagues in, in large part based on memories of his productivity in in Pittsburgh. And, and he, he he's obviously not now not in anything like as good a situation with the Jets. I mean, he likely won't see the same volume. The, you know, the team isn't as good. And the Jets simply won't have the same number of offensive plays. And you add that to the fact his age he's probably got a two three year window of, of high productivity yeah I, I think if you're a bell owner you've got to seriously be thinking of fielding offers you know provided you can get the right value
1: Bip have you have you moved levy on Bell in, in any of your leagues at all in the last you know whatever it's been three or four weeks since he signed or two weeks whatever it was since he signed with the Jets
2: well, I have actually bought Le'Veon on Bell. You know, again, uh, part of it is, you know, we we do have short term memories as fantasy football players. I mean, I get it. He's in New York Jets, but you know, that's that's all they have. I think they have a good tight end in tight end in Chris Herndon, and then a young quarterback, and then Adam Gase. You know, who's who's a who's who used to be a very good offensive uh, coordinator. You know, very creative. Uh, back in his days and and i think he gets to work with him i mean bell can easily catch 70 passes and and that's uh, seventy free points for you so i am buying him because i can buy him for a first round pick i think that's where i have got him um i do feel bell will be fine this year you know assuming he doesn't get any injuries he he will put up bellisk numbers but i do agree with steve that his long-term valuation is limited it's probably you are looking at another three years or four years but if that is also the case i would rather get his productivity out of him this year and then sell him versus selling well, him now
0: yeah i should add you know here we we come now to the secret source of a bit with his trading i mean if you yeah. can get on bell for a first round pick yeah i mean I, i'm buying all day long but If I'm the bell owner, I'm looking for something more than a first-round pick.
2: (laughs) That's what I paid, Steve, in 501.
0: (laughs) Well, there you go. I
2: mean, that's – yeah. Well done. Let me
1: ask you this, guys, because this is a deal that I got offered. um, Was it today or is yesterday? I think it was today. Um, My Mike Evans for his levy on bell. Would you guys have, have flipped Evans for bell?
2: I will go Evans
1: all day.
0: Yeah, I would take the Evans end of that. And, and that's another example. I mean, if you say, let's say Evans is 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 equal to Bell. I mean, you're looking for a lot more than the first-round pick for Mike yep. Evans, aren't you? Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. Even, even
2: if uh, Bells was on Steelers, I would still go Evans because he's young. He's a receiver. He's, he's yeah, you know, I mean.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, that's, yeah, I'd take the Evans end of that all day long. But I, I still think you got a tremendous deal. Getting left bell for simply a first round pick.
1: Yep. Yeah, that, Well, that, it's what he does well, apparently. And, it and, is. And congratulations to you on that, Bip Lab, because I, I would have been uh, all over that as well. Um, let's move on to uh, Odell Beckham here at Bip Lab. And, and this is a guy who there's no question he's moving to a better quarterback situation. However, he's moving to a, a crowded talent situation with Jarvis Landry, David Njoku, who you know we heard Steve talk about uh, earlier, about well, he expects big things from him going forward, not to mention the running game of Nick Chubb and and Kareem Hunt, at least for the second half of 2019. What are your, I mean, what do you do with Odell Beckham? I own him in one dynasty league. I I, I think I'm, I I haven't really shopped him at all. I don't think I'm going to really get my doors blown off with, with a great trade offer, but I I don't know. I I, I think his value has gone up a little bit, but maybe not that much. What do you think?
2: Yep, I mean, you are right. You are spot on. So if I am an OBJ owner, I'm not selling him. I am anyways an OBJ fan. And Steve was telling you, you know, what I sold uh, Mixon and 1.8 to to get OBJ. But I am also not going to buy OBJ proactively right now because I think the value is going to be higher and I'm not willing to pay that. Uh, So he's kind of a hold candidate uh, at the moment, for me, Steve, have you
1: noticed that yeah. in your high stakes leagues too that that the Beckham owner just I, and I don't know if you've been poking around to see what what the going rate is, but have you noticed that uh, that, that that there's you know a certain inflated sense of of Beckham's value currently?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think Beckham's value has gone up. He, I mean, he definitely gets a bump in dynasty value by having his future tied to Baker Mayfield in Cleveland, particularly what that team is doing right now offensively in terms of the other personnel. So I do think he's a buy if you can afford him. But, you know, if we, we go back to, two, to to a year ago, I mean, Beckham was worth two first-round draft picks or the equivalent of two first-round draft picks at least um, back then when he was in with the Giants. So he's going to come with a pretty hefty price tag now. So it's going to be very difficult I think, to, uh, to acquire it.
1: Steve, we already heard Bip Lab talking about how he's, he's looking to move Antonio Brown right now. How many quote-unquote elite seasons or, or, you know, let's say WR1 seasons does Antonio Brown have left now that he is an Oakland Raider catching passes, at least we think, from Derek Carr and maybe somebody else going forward, but it looks like Derek Carr right now. Your thoughts on Antonio Brown's next couple of years in the NFL?
0: Well, actually, Biff and I will be talking after this because I, I think uh, Antonio Brown is a buy if you're a contend. Certainly, if you're a contending team, um, he, he's getting mocked out a bit because he's left the Steelers and he's gone to the Raiders, and we've seen that the, the Raiders have not looked good in, in, in recent years offensively. But I, I think he's going to vacuum up a ton of targets. Um, he's still an outstanding receiver. He works in his craft. He's in outstanding shape despite all of the the nonsense he's been putting out on the social media, he's actually takes his craft very seriously. And I think particularly now with Tyrell Williams there to kind of stretch the field, I think Antonio Brown's going to get a ton of targets.
2: Yep. If, so go ahead. Bet-Bab. So just, just to add a thought, I, I, I think I agree with that. I mean, the leagues where I'm trying to sell Antonio Brown, you know, I am not, I know I'm not going to win it. There are two, three better teams than I, and you know, I'm trying to even see if I can get two firsts equivalent for him. Then I would rather move a 31-year-old uh, receiver. I think he will be fine for this year. You know, Gruden has done well with older receivers, and and you know, this is the best talent he's got on that team. So, so,
1: so Bip, maybe this is this is where your this is where your skills come in. After the 2019 season, you turn Antonio Brown into something really special if you have him.
2: Yep. Because I, I feel uh, next year the class is going to be good. So yeah. if I can get two firsts, you know, I, I can draft uh, some good uh, receivers like Judy and, you know, those guys.
1: Steve, let's talk about Antonio Brown's old um, teammate in Pittsburgh in Juju Smith-Schuster. Now, uh, Bip talked about him a little bit previously. My concern with Smith, uh, Smith-Schuster is that while he had an absolutely baffle year last year, it was crazy – the majority of the season hitting Antonio Brown on the opposite side, drawing attention from uh, from him. 2019 J S S is going to have, you know, Dante Moncrief, James Washington, whoever opposite him. How does that change his fantasy value, if at all, um, and, and really dynasty value as well going forward, now that he is the guy in Pittsburgh?
0: Well, I, I still like Juju Smith-Schuster. I mean, I think... Uh... He, he, obviously, there are cons- some concerns with the fact he's going to get more defensive attention, but the guy is incredibly talented. He's also incredibly young, and you know that I think counts for a lot when you you look at his age and what he's already achieved, and you know the, the fact that he's still got to uh, runway ahead of him in terms of improving his productivity. So, you know, I think he's he's actually a buy for me. I, I really I really like the guy. I think he's his arrows uh, are yeah. pointing up.
1: And, and, and obviously he already has the he, – he's staying in the same offense, well-established relationship with Ben Roethlisberger, same offensive coordinator, same coach there. So a lot of things going Juju Smith-Schuster's way as, as far as 2019 goes, no doubt. Now, and don't money. forget
0: about James Washington there too. I mean, you know, that, that guy's got a, a bow of talent. So, you know, I, I expect him to uh, get a lot of attention too. I mean, he'll, he'll be drawing a, a lot of targets. And, in fact, he's probably the, the big – the big winner in terms of uh, his yep. upside with the departure of Brown.
1: Have Steve? Have you have you made any offers for for Washington in your leagues? Have you acquired him anywhere?
0: I, I haven't. I haven't actually, but um, I, I I I may do that. I may may maybe putting out some offers for him. And,
1: and and the other thing too is, and and maybe this is just taking it a, a step forward, and and I'm making something where there's nothing here, but with. With Cleveland taking the step forward, I, I think there's a lot of people that are concerned about especially the way the Steelers' season ended last year. I don't know. Perhaps they're they're going to be losing more games this year. Perhaps they're going to be in more shootouts. And, and to me, that, that with all those targets going west to Oakland with Antonio Brown, I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster could – I don't want to say he's going to have a bigger 2019 than 2018, but it, it might not be far off.
0: Right, right. I, I still think he's going to have a very big season
1: his his uh his backfield um uh teammate there in Pittsburgh is James Conner Now Bit blab talked a little bit about him before Steve um are you so he's going in the first round of of FFPC redrafts right now I, is he the guy in Pittsburgh do you think they bring in somebody to go along with him and Samuels that's going to turn this into a three-headed monster cuz we saw he was very very successful being the man last year he was even getting goal line when Le'Veon Bell wasn't really getting a whole lot of goal line in those similar situations uh, James Conner for Dynasty right now, I think if you wanted to flip him, and I don't know if you feel like you should, you could probably get a lot for him right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I echo a lot of what Bib said earlier about James Conner. I mean, I think he's a, a sell here. I mean, a strong sell, really. I mean, I, I'm i not sure uh, that, they, that they don't bring in another back. But in any case, I, I'm not sure that they, he's going to get the same workload uh, given the competition with Jalen Samuels, who, you know, I have a ton of respect for Jalen Samuels uh, receiving abilities. I mean, I think he holds the NC State record for, for receptions um, in a in a season. I mean, he, he's, a, he's a very talented um, receiving back. And, you know, I don't think that James Conner is, you know, some type of generational talent. I mean, I think he's a decent running back, but I don't think he's anything really special. So, yeah, I'd be concerned if I was a James Conner right now. I'd be definitely looking to sell.
1: Biff Lab, let's, let's shift the shift back to wide receiver here. And this is a guy that uh, in Tyree Kill that, that's been in the news again for, for not the reasons he would want to be. Um, we, I mean, this is an interesting thing. Like We don't know what this could turn into. I mean, uh, especially we don't know what the NFL is capable of when it comes to suspending players. Uh, you don't necessarily need to be charged or be guilty of anything uh, in order to get suspended. Tyree Kill, what are you doing with him for Dynasty Leagues right now?
2: Well, you know, this is where it's also a little emotional. I know a couple of owners have had some uh, moral conversations with him, with me, you know, about owning Tyreek Hill or not owning Tyreek Hill, you know, knowing uh, what might have happened. But, you know, right now it's all speculation. Uh, If I own uh, Tyreek Hill, I'm not going to move him right now because... I, I, you will be surprised, uh, Balky, Some of the trades I have seen going down. I have seen Tyreek Hill being traded for one twelve, for one ten. You know those those kind of trades, and uh, it's it's hard to find value. I've seen Tyreek Hill go for I think Brandon Cooks. That's probably the best I've seen. You know, as a, as a straight up uh, trade. But I know some owners have the philosophy, if you have a stain on your character, I'm, I am have nothing to do with you. And we've seen that with Justin Blackman and Josh Gordon and where those things ended, right? Uh, if I own him, I'm holding him. Um, I will buy him for a late first, but I'm also not going to be proactive and spend a couple of 2020 firsts to get Tyreek Hill until this thing Uh, comes out in the open and, and settles because you know what if he has really done it I don't think he will play again in NFL you know it's not like you'll be suspended for a year and you come back because if that kid's arms were broken by him, you know, I don't know how he plays in NFL again.
1: Now you make a good point. And that's something that certainly all dynasty owners are going to have to consider as they uh, ramp up for 2019 guys, we've got a couple minutes left. I want to close on a trio of rookie running backs from last year. And uh, now that we've seen how they've acclimated themselves to the NFL, well, at least for two of them, they have, um, I want to get your thoughts on him. Steve, I'm going to pitch the first one to you. And that's Nick Chubb. Um, Kareem Hunt, goes to Cleveland, and and certainly after his suspension, he's undoubtedly going to play a significant role in that backfield. How does Nick Chubb's dynasty value change now, knowing that John Dorsey decided to bring in Kareem Hunt? Granted, I believe it was just a one-year deal, so we'll see what happens at the end of 2019, but how does this change Chubb's value right now?
0: Well, again, I'm a huge fan of Nick Chubb, so for me, uh, this is, if anything, a, a big buying opportunity. Um, if people are, are going to downgrade Chubb because of the presence of Kareem Hunt, then, and you can get him for less than his worth. And, you know, that's a great, a great win. Um, you know, I, I, I think this been we're seeing a, a bit of an overreaction to the presence of Kareem Hunt. Like I said, I, I believe Nick Chubb is a generational type talent. Um, when I saw him, when I studied him on film and watched him, uh, Go through the line of scrimmage. I, my frustration. Wow, that that's Emmitt Smith. You know, I to to me, he's that good. Um, now I get that you know there's concern in, about receptions, um, but I still think like Leonard Fournette does. He, he'll get enough receptions on first and second down. To, you know, uh, as the coaches mix it up a bit, um, and you know he he's got a ton of yardage and. Uh, touchdown upside on a team whose arrow is pointing straight upwards in in Cleveland. So, you know, I I think he's a for me he's a hold right now if you own him, and he's a buy if if you know you got a chance to acquire him.
1: bit lad, there was one player that scored a touchdown in this year's Super Bowl, and it was Sony Michelle. And he um, really came, you know, he had that knee issue uh, be- during training camp, and really was kind of late to the party, slipped in a lot of drafts. Um, your thoughts on Sony Michel as far as dynasty goes, given that there's no Rob Gronkowski, at least right now, in New England, yep. um, and uh, there's no Josh Gordon. I mean, we'll see what happens with that. But there's a lot of moving pieces right now for the Patriots. But you think about them investing not only a first-round pick in Sony Michel last year, but also, and I'm forgetting that the the, the lineman from Georgia who who got placed on IR, uh, I think it was Win Isaiah Wynn, I want to say his name was, um, got placed on IR before the season started. He's going to come back to really bolster that offensive line. Is Sony Michelle? Uh, is his value pointing up right now? Is is it going straight ahead? How do you how do you feel about Michelle as far as dynasty leagues go?
2: Well, I know a lot of dynasty owners still. Uh... Uh, have question marks about michelle because he plays for the patriots and 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 some of the stuff you talked about i was actually a huge sony michelle fan coming out of college more than nick, nick chubb you know just just to be honest on this conversation and you know i still own him and it's not that i will hold on to him forever but i think to move Shoni Michel, I will need a really, really big offer that, that I can't refuse, right? Or an upgrade. Uh, but I think he is as versatile as Kamara. I think we have just seen the tip of the iceberg there. I mean look at the off season and how he dominated as a rookie running back. I think he created smashed some records and created some history. And I do feel he just gets better from here. The the challenge is that he has one of the best pass catching backs in the same team, which is James White. Um, and that kind of dings his value a bit, but I think both of them can thrive in that offense, considering Brady is getting older and they are more trying to switch to a running offense and a running back based uh, um, team. Uh, Steve, I'm going to pitch the last one to
1: you and, and we'll close with uh Uh, Man, I had the the 102 pick in a dynasty league last year, and I really was torn on what to do with it. And I basically took the one guy who had no effect uh, on, on leagues last year, and that was Darius Geis from Washington. I'm really concerned. I was really concerned. I still am somewhat concerned about this new injury, although I did read a report today that he's expected to be a full go for training camp, which I guess is good, you know, if it is true. But, you know, with Darius Geis right now, man, and and call me crazy uh, if you think I I shouldn't be doing this, but the the first kind of you know big move that he makes in preseason that first 20 yard run he rips off or anything like that I still have severe concerns about this knee I'm gonna look at moving him um, you know eh, for 90 95 cents on the dollar I'm not gonna give him away but this is a guy that I'm I'm super nervous about having on my team going forward What about you?
0: Um, yeah, I own guys in in uh, one league also, and obviously, you know, like you say, he's a hold right now, coming off the injury, you, you can't get fair value for him right now. Um, e- equally well, you know, I I think it's hard to see how you would go out and acquire him, you know, since he does have this this in injury history, and since his value is, you know, is based entirely on his college resume and, and you know where he was drafted, so you know, until we see him on an NFL field, like you say, we won't know for sure. Um, I think he'll be difficult to move, you know, based on one preseason game, though. I think people are going to want to see him play in a, uh, a you know, a few NFL games. And then, then I think we'll get a sense as to where he is. But again, I do think if he performs well and, you know, that he's not on the injury report or questionable all the time for the first half of the season, if he's Looks as though he's he's over the injury, you know. People could could forget about these worries pretty quickly. All
1: right, I've I've just made his leash longer uh, on my <laughs> on my roster now, so we'll we'll see how how it goes with Geis. But I want to like him. I mean, I obviously took him second overall, so I do want to like him. Uh, he's the only that's the only share I have of Geis, and and we'll see what happens. It is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, watching him go forward as he gets healthier, and this was a lot of fun tonight, guys. A lot of great dynasty strategy talk. We got into some player evaluation with with uh, with both of you guys. I, I I learned a lot of of how you guys like to operate your dynasties, and and certainly some good tips of how I can operate mine better uh, going forward as well. Thanks so much uh, for for popping on the HSFF hour. Uh, with me this week and uh best of luck to you in 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 all of your leagues going forward guys and and, and i'll let you go now
2: so you guys can talk trade with antonio brown
0: well thanks very much Paul. this was a lot of fun
1: i really enjoyed it
2: yeah same here and uh, nice to talk to both of you uh, have a good night
1: Bip Lab Mandel, Steve Lee, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks to the FFPC, Rob Bryce, and of course, each and every one of you for listening next week. Dizzle is off again, but I will have 2018 FFPC Bare Knuckle Champion, Monty Fan, that will be on at a special 9, 8 Central uh, time uh, next Friday. So uh, an hour earlier, we will have Monty Fan on. Check out the Maiden Dynasties and the 2019 Best Ball Leagues at myffpc.com. And as as always, your weekend of Officially starts now. This has been another episode of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour presented by myffpc.com that was broadcast live and heard around the world. Eric and Dave will be back next week with more analysis, interviews, and advice from a guest much smarter than they are. Thanks for listening and we'll talk with you again next week.
0: Trying to explain where the time went Will other rappers find a studio to grind in
1: like- It is Ryan here and I have a question for you What do you do when you win?